Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor in chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Please visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brensi, the incubation specialist. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water. 
the BrightTap chicken waterer. The BrightTap waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. BrightTap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Beach. We've got a great show lined up for you today. It's something that I've been wanting to do now for a couple of years and finally got, quote-unquote, around to it. And... um uh, reached out to the to the CDC initially to see if we could do some things to try to have a family on that has uh, been affected by one of the salmonella outbreaks, uh, either currently or in the past. I know the CDC has reached out to uh, the current states where there's a current outbreak to see if we can get somebody uh, involved in the current outbreak uh, that's been affected by it to, to come on and uh, reached out to actually uh, an attorney, I believe out in California, that represents a lot of uh, food illness um, clients, and um, he had given me the contact information uh, to the Gabriel family. And so we uh, contacted them a couple of days ago, told them kind of what our goals were, what we really wanted to do to really add a human aspect to this. You know, um, I've been doing this for nine, eight or nine years now, and, um, you know, we can post all the posters we want on social media. Uh, from all the agencies about salmonella and how to protect ourselves and things like that. And, and you see it, you just, you know, scroll on down. Uh, but what I think is lacking is, is a human aspect of it to actually hear uh, from the people that have been affected. Um, uh, you know, the, the comments that we see after we post quote-unquote posters and even information about how to protect ourselves, 
um, are really go across the gamut from oh it's conspiracy theory they want to yank our backyards out of back you know yank the chickens out of our backyard they don't want us to buy eggs from the store all this stuff um, and so it's I think it's easy for us to say that when we when we don't know anybody maybe or haven't heard of anybody that's been affected by it um, I, I don't know what your definition of small is or the number small uh, relatively speaking of the amount of people who um, get contaminated with salmonella related to backyard poultry or backyard chicks, possibly, depending on what your uh, definition of, of small is. Uh, I know the CDC has some numbers that claim, um, and we'll ask um, uh, Dr. Megan Nichols when she comes on a little later, because I'm sure she has that information. For every one reported instance, we figure, I think maybe, I can't remember the number, nine that, that don't get reported, something like that. So, so we'll have her uh, comment on that based on their theory of how many have gotten sick. That's just never reported or, or confirmed uh, on that particular outbreak. So really, that's what I wanted to do. So I'm really excited today uh, to finally be broadcasting the show. Uh, and we do have um, uh, Dan Gabriel on the line. And, and, and when we're done with their story, uh, we'll bring on Dr. Nichols from the CDC, who's, um, as far as I'm concerned, kind of in charge of the current outbreak, uh, her department, and she'll update us on the current outbreak. Uh, we'll ask her some questions about it, and then we'll wrap up again uh, with, with really uh, uh, sharing with folks how they can uh, limit this uh, or try to reduce the risk of them uh, coming down with uh, the, the salmonella. So uh, that's kind of our goal today. We thank you very much uh, for listening today. And, of course, this show, like all the others, uh, will be archived for your listening pleasure. If you have to break away at any time, just know you can come back to the same link uh, after the show and listen 24 hours a day, seven days uh, a week, anytime. So we thank you. So I'm going to go right to the phone lines and get a, get started with this. We are going to start with the Gabriel family, and I'm going to bring them on right now. If uh, the switchboard cooperates, there we go. And I believe we've got uh, Dan on the line. Dan Gabriel, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Andy, it's my pleasure. How are you doing this fine day? I'm doing well. Can't can't complain. I woke up, my eyes opened, and and it's a it's definitely a beautiful day here in uh, uh, the coastal area of Florida. So uh, enjoying life. And thank you very much for joining us. I'm willing to share your story. I don't know really how many people out there would, would be willing to, to come on and share their story, but once I talked to you a couple of days ago, I was even more, uh, I don't know, joyed because of all the unique uh, aspects of your story compared to uh, signs and symptoms that were initially brought on and, and, and the story of trying to get it diagnosed and then, and then, and then, and then the, the turnaround. And, and, then, and then your story about... Um, you know, you, you knew the risk. You, you knew to keep the birds, you know, they were away from your house. They weren't in your house. You weren't cuddling. You weren't kissing. In fact, you did things like, uh, you'll tell a story here in a minute about the chickens are across what, two creeks or something in your backyard. You've got five acres, and, 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 and we still had this issue, and, and it wasn't just an issue of a four-year-old handling baby chicks, sleeping with them, putting them in the bed, touching their mouth after handling the chicks, not washing their hands, and so many people like to just say, oh, it's as simple as washing your hands. Well, we, you know, we've said for years that that's a great start, but it's not just a total uh, fix-all. And so uh, we'll just go right, kind of right into to your story. And, uh, and just so people know up front, um, your outbreak uh, or your story was associated with the uh, Salmonella outbreak in 2013. Uh, in the spring, hatchery chicks, uh, we can't, of course, uh, disclose, disclose any type of court issue and, and settlement issues, but we can say that uh, this was the outbreak was that was tied to uh, Mount Healthy Hatchery and Mount Healthy, Ohio. We can uh, say that uh, in 2013. 
So if you'll just kind of start off with, uh, you know, your daily life and, and the fact that you've had chickens for tens of years, I think you had said on, on the uh, offline interview, and uh, kind of get us started there to where you think it's, it's important. Tell us about how long you've had backyard poultry, your, your setup there, uh, your knowledge of this beforehand, and, and all of that so we can get a good picture on your setup. Uh, and then we'll lead into the first signs and symptoms and how and, and go down that road, if you would. No, not a, absolutely. Um, I guess first and foremost, I'm going to make your, your morning a, a little more blessed because we're, we're uh, also accompanied by my wife, Deanna, who is also on the phone, and, and I'm That's sure great. we'll have plenty to add to the conversation as well. Um, Good morning. <laughs> I guess I'd like to start, you know, as far as our background and, and where we're coming from. First and foremost, Andy, based on kind of your opening statement and the vast array of comments and responses that you get when you broach this subject, where we're coming from, first and foremost, we are pro-backyard chickens. We still are after all this uh, occurrence and will continue to be so. And we're actually coming at this just to provide some more information that we would want to have been privy to, um, as well as, you know, obviously try and nip any future outbreaks, um, minimize them, and bottom line, if it keeps one child from, from going through what our child did, that's, that's going to be, you know, worth the hour that we spend or whatever. Um, but it's a passionate issue, the, the backyard chickens, and, and you encounter a lot of emotion. And once you eliminate that emotion and listen to some facts and listen to some inform information, you're able to make a more educated decision and be able to handle the poultry a lot more safely. And, and that's what we were coming from. We've gone, you put on your website that it's been 15 years. I personally have been raising chickens for, for decades. My wife goes back even further than that. She had family on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a mecca for poultry. And uh, you know, uh -huh. Purdue's headquarters are there, so we're certainly well-versed in the biohazard aspects of it. Um, we live uh -huh. in an extremely rural area. You can't drive two miles without seeing a farm with biohazard signs and everything. Um, like you said, we have plenty of acreage. We have, uh, personally, we're on five acres. It's heavily wooded with a couple creeks. Um, and, again, wanting to kind of set it up in the quote-unquote I deal situation as far as biosecurity and keeping it away from the house we set up a separate living area across the creeks and uh you know just tried to keep it as separate from the living uh quarters as as mm -hmm. possible and uh yeah i think i um i'm initially the family member who took care of the chickens when they were babies mm -hmm. um i'm the one who purchased them at the feed store um and i actually solely took care of, of these particular chickens until we introduced them to their new coop. Um, you know, our, the coop itself was a family project that we all built. Um, we had had a problem with some of our past chickens with predators in our area. We have lots of raccoons and fox. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. our goal with this new coop for the for the chickens in 2013 was to build a predator-proof coop, um, which mm -hmm. we did. You know, it was elevated off the ground. It had great ventilation. Um, it was. We called it the deluxe chicken condo in the sky <laughs> um, because it was very nice. Um, you know, and we, even though we have a background in chicken raising, I've been around them my whole life. My great-grandfather, like Dan said, was a farmer. Uh, my grandmother tended chickens. I had chickens growing up as a child. Um, 
um, even with all of that background, we still, you know, did some research to refresh refresh ourselves when we took it upon, took up the project as as our family, um, mm-hmm. and so we were very proud of you know the way that we we cared for the chicks. Uh, and we started them out in a in a large 50 gallon drum for about four or five weeks, um, and then we kind of had a transitional. That was in an outbuilding mm-hmm. on our property. Um, once they kind of got too big for that, we had a little transitional pen um, until they were able to go into their newly built coop. Um, and that coop was actually enclosed in a huge um, kennel, like a big dog run. So it had like a – there was a, a three-boundary line thing that the predators would have to go through to get to our mm-hmm. chicks. So basically it was it was a large – kind of pasture field that's not planted anymore um, and then within that field there was a large dog kennel um, and within the kennel there was a, a pretty large chicken coop um, you mm-hmm. know complete with stainless steel nesting boxes and perches mm-hmm. um, we elevated our food and water off the ground um, yeah and we kind of thought we had we had covered all bases um, you know as far as hand washing um, that's we're hand washers in any event, even, you know, aside from, from chicken care. So we were super hand washers when it came to taking care of the chickens. Uh, we, our family all had separate, we called them muck shoes, that we would use to go over to the area where our animals were kept. And, and yes, Dan was correct that it was, you would have to walk out our back door, through our yard, across a bridge uh, where two creeks converged, and then through a little pasture to the area where where our animals ultimately lived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and and you were prime. How about how old were the chicks? Would you guesstimate when you added them out out to the when you were done kind of take care of care, taking care of them and had added them out out to the flock? About how old? How many weeks were they when they were in the coop? Per se. They were they were probably about seven or eight weeks before they were able not. Yeah, we. Um, they were still isolated, though. They we yeah, they, they never merged with another well, flock. No, we had a. I guess my I guess my question is about how old were those chicks when your son started having the symptoms? They we purchased them at the end of March of thirteen, and our son pre- started presenting. And I guess we'll go down this area in a minute. He started presenting okay. his symptoms uh, mid mid towards the mid late July. So I see March. So about. Somewhere between three and a half and four months later. Correct. They they were okay, not exactly. layers yet. They were they okay. were just being put but out. But they were but they were far from the cute little cuddly fluffy chicks and the brooder when 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 this and and we'll ask um, and y'all may know this being going down that road uh, the I guess you call it the incubation time from the time they've yeah. maybe been exposed to symptoms based on it being about four months old when they got out to, to the coop. So no problem. I just wanted to, to get that information for, and we'll sure. talk to uh, uh, CDC about sort of you know, how long. <laughs> At that point, they were, they were not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. Okay, no problem. So, uh, okay, so again, to me, it sounds like kind of a um, typical backyard, if you can say typical, because all, all the different setups are, uh, are differently, but at least it gives, paints a good picture uh, kind of about your setup, and security, and washing for them, uh, they were already uh, probably at least a couple of three months old before, you know, four months before the something started. So when I'm talking about right, and once, yeah, once we introduced them out out into the pen at that age, um, yeah, it was part of our son's chores to 
uh-huh. to let them out um, of their coop in the morning and feed and water them, um, and then to let them back into the coop in the evening. And he was 14 at the time? Correct. 14. Okay, got it. Okay, so we've kind of painted that picture, if I, if I have any other questions regarding that. And, and I guess my question is, it sounds like you were fully aware of um, chickens possibly being contaminated with salmonella. You figure, you know, you've been checking these all your life. You already talked about your biosecurity and where you're placing them, not in the house, not in the backyard. So it sounds like you're pretty well-versed in, in, in uh, knowing some of the things that chickens could, could carry and could have. You weren't just like a brand new, my paint, picture I'm painting is you weren't a brand new spur of the moment, oh, these chicks are so cute, let's get them and take them home, kind of a learning curve issue there. Uh, got it. Not, okay. not at all, Andy. We're, we're certainly right. were and obviously now more so uh, familiar with zoonosis <laughs> and zoonic diseases, but we are in a heavily Amish community. There's, I mean, it's, it's heavy farming around here, and it's, it's certainly well-informed uh, area as, as far as, potential hazards of, of owning any livestock. Got it. Okay. So let's let's move on now to the uh, first um, signs and symptoms. This is where it gets really interesting um, uh, of your, your 14-year-old presenting symptoms and then go down that road of uh, being trying to get diagnosed in the ICU and, and what we shared on the phone a couple of days ago. Yeah, and, and this is one of the key reasons, again, why we're, why we're even putting ourselves or even subjecting ourselves to those wonderful comments, because it did not, our son's case was not your typical GI presentation. It was not your typical vomiting and diarrhea. Um, as far mm-hmm. as what people can and should look out for, obviously those are, are the main reasons and, and the main symptoms that you look for. Um, however, in our son's case, in mid-July, um, he just started coming to us with chest pains and, and very heavy labored breathing and uh, running a fever. And we actually initially thought with the chest pains, he had been to a, a summer carnival a day or two before. We thought he had been riding some rides and might have bruised his chest and, and you know, with one of the crossbars. Uh, but that mm-hmm. digressed very rapidly, and he started pushing 104 fever and couldn't lay down because his, his breathing went from labored to to almost stopping. So that's when we, you know, rushed him into the emergency room and, you know, they started running all kinds of tests and blood tests and CAT scans. And the initial diagnosis for our son was leukemia, possible leukemia. They had found a, what they thought was a tumor, uh, a growth is in what they call the anterior mediastinum. It's basically the chest cavity, um, a rather large tumor. So we were immediately admitted into the oncology department and had, you know, started wonderful conversations with our sons and a rigmarole of tests, you know, subsequent tests that come with that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And um, so so it sounded, so at that point they were looking, like you said, at, at cancer in the mass, uh, in the chest. And at that point um, were y'all personally aware of any salmonella outbreak that was occurring um, uh, and have y'all um, obviously now, been Andy, oh, how we wish, how the doctors wished, how everybody wished that, that we were, and that might have nipped a lot of this in the bud. No, we were not thinking that at all. Um, we okay. immediately went full throttle into, into the cancer uh, ward, and, you know, that's where they started pulling bone marrow and, and testing for the cancer. And then, it, and, and, and you had talked about on the phone where, I think it was it was an ICU for ten days. 
Yes, he was in ICU for 10 days. He was during that time they were waiting for the, you know, the results on on the bone marrow after they kind of ruled out leukemia. We were going down the road of lymphoma. Um, you know, uh-huh. they they did a chest aspiration. They took a little part of of what they thought was the tumor out of his chest to to run some biopsies on that. And you know, it's during this whole time our son is continuing to deteriorate. Um, being put on oxygen, obviously tubes coming out everywhere, uh, as we're kind of waiting on all these results to come back. Yeah, the doctors were very concerned because he had this, you know, what at that point they thought was a cancerous tumor in his chest was actually a salmonella infection in his chest. um, And with the proximity to his heart, um, him not being able to lay down or to breathe, Uh um, and things just continuing, you know, even once he was in the hospital, you know, we're weak into the hospital, and he's just continuing to decline. Um, yeah, we were not aware of the salmonella, nor nor were the the doctors. You know, it was quite a team of doctors at that point trying to yeah. you know to figure out what was going on. Um, no, we we were no one. Okay. Salmonella so wasn't mass, brought up at that point. The mass ended up being a part of the the infection. And when did um, how did the light? magically turn on or how what what was the turning point to where I should check for this or, or did it just all of a sudden came up in, in a test oh, oh wait did this show in salmonella or did someone say maybe we ought to test for this when when did the, the, the when did the curve take place and either someone saying maybe we should check for this or look this just came up on a test and then and then describe the treatment at that point well um when he was initially checked in, like when we, you know, the evening that we took him to the ER, they had taken blood work from him at that point. Um, and I guess they, you know, sent that blood work out to a laboratory. Um, so right when when Luke was being taken in um, for, the, for the chest, they, you know, they actually cut into his chest to take to take a part of the mast for biopsy. Um, it was during that procedure that a doctor came to us and said, hey, we just got lab results back, and they have specimens of salmonella growing. Um, so that, you know, and that was probably about seven or eight days in um, yeah. that we got that information. When they received that information that they had the salmonella growing um, and there was, there was salmonella present, they switched his antibiotics. Um, you know, up until that point, he was on a huge regimen of, of and if, I don't even remember how many, but um, several. You know, they they were like, um, they were giving him IV drips. So, you know, each uh-huh. of the IV drips had several different antibiotics. Once salmonella was brought up, um, once they knew that, they changed the antibiotics. Um, and pretty quickly after that, we started to see him make some slow progress. Um, you know, and then and then pretty rapid progress once once yeah once it was determined and they were able to t- to attack it with specific antibiotics his his turnaround was almost as dramatic as as the decline was. Okay, and the next big question is, when you heard that word, did you immediately think our chickens, or did you immediately think bad food from the fair? <laughs> you know, because you know, a lot I, of people. Uh, when I heard salmonella <laughs> and having been through what we had been through, it was just really strange that that's what they were saying at that point because uh-huh. in our minds, you know, we were several days into accepting that he had either lymphoma or leukemia, you know, uh-huh. and then they were just trying uh-huh. to determine which one. Um, 
it didn't immediately dawn on on me. Wow, it was the chickens. Um, no, and this was far from your typical food poisoning or GI, and it it was hard to fathom okay. something that is you know described as vomiting and diarrhea and from mm-hmm. not washing your hands to something that happened to a 14-year-old that despised chickens, certainly didn't cuddle them, wash the heck out of his hands. And this was enteric fever, you know, this was a septicemia. This wasn't GI. This 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 was a heck of a lot more serious than your your typical poisoning. Right. So then I asked the that doctor at that point once once they knew that salmonella was present, at that point they still weren't willing to rule out the cancer road. Um, you know, for for a brief period, we thought maybe we're, we were dealing with a dual problem. You know, like maybe Luke had cancer um, or had some sort of cancerous growth in his chest that was susceptible, you know, to the salmonella, and so he had both, um, which, thank God, didn't turn out to be the case. Um, right. So, no, you know, we, we didn't immediately think that the chickens. We were staying yeah, in an old McDonald house at that point, um, and I remember uh-huh. that evening I went back to to the house to get a couple of hours sleep um, and got on the internet um, and was just doing some, you know, Google searching of salmonella and that sort of thing. And that's the first time that I realized that there was a salmonella outbreak going on at that point that was related to chickens. Um, and I I don't know if I called Dan, but, but I said to him, wow, you know, there's, a, there's an outbreak right now. I wonder if, you know, our chickens could be part of that outbreak. Do you think that could have something to do with with him having salmonella. Um, and it was a while before that was confirmed, but, but once we started doing research about, about current outbreaks, it was pretty quickly a, a possibility. Um, yeah, yeah. But I asked that question because even as early as yesterday or this morning on my Facebook page when I had posted about the show, you may have seen it. Someone said, well, how do they know they didn't get it from eating bad chicken or bad food or whatever? And um, and we'll talk to Dr. Nichols about that, about and, and y'all too, because you had talked about, because we had talked on the phone offline about how when uh, people who said, you know, pretty much 100% without uncertainty, it was, number one, the same strain. It's almost like tracking DNA, this strain of salmonella being tracked back to those chickens, back to that hatchery during this outbreak. It's almost, uh, uh, you know, we'll get, I don't want to say 100%, we'll, we'll ask the doc when she comes on, but pretty much oh, without and, a doubt. On that on that front, Andy, we, we actually went to, to, to when we first... <laughs> went with Luke to the hospital, the initial emergency room kind of kind of sent us home with, you know, instructions of how to treat a high fever. And uh, <laughs> an hour or two later, he was he was such poor shape that we rushed him even further an hour and a half away to a more renowned children's hospital. And thankfully, um, they ran what they call a PFGE, which is pulsed field gel electrophoresis, which is basically boiling it down to a, a genetic molecular structure of DNA. It's a genetic fingerprint where they can totally pinpoint where the, the source of, of uh-huh. the salmonella. Yeah, when we took him back for a follow-up visit once he was released from the hospital, I want to say it was at least two weeks, maybe three or four weeks later, um, that's when we were told, without a doubt, you know, your son salmonella came from this hatchery. It, it, um you know, they traced it back, and it was like 99.99% um, uh-huh. positive you know, that it came from that hatchery. Um, but that wasn't something that was immediate. You know, it took a few weeks. Uh-huh. Um, and then right. once 
once the doctors had that information, I guess they forwarded it along to our to our health department, um, and then the health department worked with the CDC once they confirmed, you know, that it was most certainly where the the strain that he had originated. Um, that's when he was added to the CDC outbreak. Um, okay. Yeah, our son had the Infantis strain mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in 2013. Which is not your. I know a lot of the comments are everybody knows that that chickens and poultry carry carry salmonella and it's natural and it's inevitable and yes it is and and there are strains that are are certainly more prone to be inherent to chickens. However, the the strains a lot of these strains that are emerging in these seemingly annual outbreaks are are new. It was our health department said it was probably they thought the first you know episode of Infantis in our county. Um, so there, it's above and beyond your typical normal, if you want to call it normal, salmonella infection of chickens. There, there are some really non-typical strains coming forth in these outbreaks. Yeah, I remember when, uh, last year when we had Dr. Casey Barton Barovetch on, uh, specifically mentioning that that we're while we're, you know something like we're concerned because these two are not typically found that these are you know in in poultry and kind of new to us too kind of surprising not to put words we can go back and listen to that podcast and get her exact quote so um exactly and you've reassured us uh, with that as well so after go ahead no i was just gonna say when when dealing with our health department the example that that our um the representative from our health department gave me um when we were discussing this initially is that we have a lot of chicken processing plants in our area and it's not Mm -hmm. very uncommon for workers who work on the lines to come down with salmonella. Um, but, but he stressed to me that, that those salmonella cases that they saw in our chicken processing plants were not, you know, the salmonella that they were telling him that, that Luke had, that he, he had never seen the Infantis. Um, you know, it wasn't something that was a normal occurrence with, with chickens. Okay. Now, when um, we've got the diagnosis, we're on antibiotics, he's starting to prove a great deal. Um, and um, it sounds like eventually they said, well, this ended up being the problem all along. Thank God, like you said, no cancer. Um, uh, and um, uh, how long before, how many days or weeks before your son was kind of back, quote, unquote, back to normal is, I guess, the first question. The second question, have there been any long-term effects? Because I know the CDC often talks, and it's on their website, about, you know, salmonella is one thing, but a lot of these can end up, having lifelong, and I can't name off the top of my head, <laughs> um, uh, effects and, and side effects from the, the initial diagnosis of salmonella and creating that. Um, how, how's your, how, how long before he was kind of back to a quote-unquote normal life, and have there been any um, long-term uh, side effects from this, other than obviously the um, emotional trauma of going through all of that? Yeah, certainly the emotional is is the big one, and you're right. There are a few long-term uh, effects associated, uh, as far as known effects associated with with the infection. Um, one of which is is a form of arthritis, chronic arthritis, which thankfully he has not exhibited any yet. Um, another is IBS, which I <laughs> uh, can't totally attest, but he does have some issues there. But no, he was back to normal. Gosh, he went through about a month, a month and a half of, of the specific antibiotics, and um, I'd say, Deanna, within a, a couple weeks, he was he was his old old self again, a month. 
Wow. Yeah, well, that's you know, right. And this is, he um, got sick a lot. It was the end of the summer, and, and I think that's school year, you know, the following school year. He was mm-hmm. home and, and well from the hospital, you know, by the the end of the first week of August. Um, yeah, it was a few months, I think. I think his immune system was down, down at that point from everything that he had gone through. So he um, missed a lot of school. Yeah, he missed a lot of school that year. Um, but I would say 100% better probably, you know, within six, nine months afterwards. Um, and this this is just because y'all told me and shared it with me. We'll share it with our listeners. This is a vibrant 14-year-old who's doing lacrosse, very active, very athletic, very healthy, no, you know, um, and, and that this happened to, correct? Uh, yes. Extremely. Uh, um, big, big boy. And actually, we got word that Dr. Casey um, from the CDC expressed the fact that, thank goodness our son was so large and vibrant and you know, 14 and strong, because as you're well aware, a lot of these infections attack the young and the elderly, and our son was extremely lucky, as she put it, to, to be so big and strong, because he, he was literally on the door, and anyone less as, you know, less strong as our son probably probably wouldn't have come through as well as he did. Exactly. And I think, I think like I said, that the human aspect of this, which I wanted to, to go through, is to show people that... You know, it's not just the newbie that doesn't know any better, that hasn't been informed. These are experienced chicken keepers and, and almost an ideal setting for the backyard and, and things like that. But And, and so we get the, uh, you know, your chances of this is much greater. Your chances of that are much greater. Your chances of a car accident. Yeah, that's true, but it doesn't change the facts. Regardless of your opinion, it doesn't change the facts about salmonella are that there are risks there. We can't live in a bubble. We understand that. Um, you still have chickens, correct? We do not, no. We, um, after this whole ordeal, we decided to kind of simplify a little and give it a break for a while. <laughs> you know, um, okay. I, I don't say that we would never have them again, um, you know, but at least for the, for the short term, we decided not, not to. Um, and right. I personally, I don't think, well, I know, I wouldn't have put new chickens back into, you know, into the coop that our old chickens lived in. Not that, you know... I'm sure after a period of time it would have been okay and disinfected, but it would have just lingered with me. So um, if we were to ever do chickens again, we'd start from scratch and a new coop in the whole thing. And nobody nobody out there can blame you for that. What you went through, that that is for sure. Um, And I I didn't even think to ask that question a couple of days days ago when when we were talking. So um, so you you no longer have them at this point. No one can blame for that. That, I mean, and I'm not opposed to them. We are around. Dan, we are around a lot of farms and a lot of chickens. It's just that personally we just decided to lay off of it for a while. No, and, and we're again, we're not trying to, to scare or fear monger or, you know, get calls right. for calling us for bad hygiene and, and things like that. What we're right. trying right. to do is just get a little above and beyond information out there that we weren't privy to that is not common information that might help someone given information if they're ever in a situation like we were. Um, You know, if backyard enthusiasts, you know, backyard chicken enthusiasts, you want to nip these outbreaks that are occurring every year. It's not giving backyard chickens a good name. As it's becoming Mm -hmm. more popular and cities and, you know, townships are trying to pass ordinances and there's fights back and forth as, as far as backyard chickens, 
it behooves everyone, the industry, the backyard chickeners, to nip these things in the bud. And, and the biggest part of that is getting proper information out there. And when you dwindle it down to 140 characters of all these people are getting it from kissing chickens, it deters right. from an intellectual conversation as far as the type of strains that are coming out, how one can get it, how it can present itself. You know, if, if we have someone put on a glove that has a paper cut when they go out to do their chickens, instead of just washing their hands when they come back, they would have eliminated the GI infection. But if they put on a glove with that paper cut or a wart on their hand, if that saved them, great. The, the risks are minuscule and inevitable. And, you know, the way we look at it, if people bring chickens into their home and kiss them, that's Darwinism working. You know, if, if you get salmonella, you're kind of asking for it. However, if you take all the necessary precautions and we're not privy to other inf you know, information that other people have that could have saved a life, mm -hmm. it, it, we'd be wrong if we didn't come forth with that. Now, you mentioned that specifically because while there's no 100% guarantee after, like your words, looking at my son with a uh, magnifying glass over his entire body to find out or some way this could have entered his body, I think that... Uh, even at this point, after the fact, a couple of years, they're um, kind of leaning towards uh, a wart that he had on his hand at the time, correct? Yeah, it's it's a guess. You know, it's it's again, knowing that it, that it was a blood infection and, and not GI, um, we were left guessing how, how, to, how it did enter the bloodstream. Another possibility was, you know, did he inhale it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's likes to four-wheel ride an ATV, you know, they, who knows, I could have been mowing, mowing the lawn, weed whacking, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, a strategic guess at, the, at this point of time as, as far as how it entered his, entered his body. Right, I guess what we do well, know I... that it didn't enter, you know, through him putting a hand that had chicken feces into his mouth. Um, that was my next way... question. That's what I was going to ask. The doc, when I bring her on just in just a, a second, is that since based on the presentation of your son and, and how it was a uh, blood uh, in the bloodstream, that pretty much eliminates the fact of the four-year-old touching the baby chicks in the breeder and putting the hand in the mouth. This entered probably somewhere else, like a butt. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've right. I've, I've read you know, that sometimes people will have a GI infection and then it spreads to other parts of their body yeah. when it gets terrible. Right. In Luke's case, he never had that GI infection. He didn't the have the, infant, right. the vomiting and the diarrhea and the stomach symptoms. You know, it was in the, the rest of his body, but um, it was not in his GI tract. That's, you know, that's the one thing that the doctors were able to tell us, um, you know, as far as how it, it entered him. It didn't, you know, it wasn't your typical, he swallowed it. it, it you know, it was some other right, way. Right. Um, and I'm going to bring on the doc. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you can, you can finish up. I was just going to bring on the doc here in just a second. But you can finish up. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the only he had that word on his hand was basically the only wound that he had on his body at that oh. point. Okay. Before I bring on the doc, because I don't want to go away, I want y'all to stay on the line because she may have questions for y'all. Y'all may have questions for her. This current outbreak um, and, and adding to and sharing information, which is what it's all about. Um, so I don't forget in, in 15 or so minutes uh, or come back to it. Is there anything else? Because like I said, y'all, y'all want to share this, that will, this, it can be presented differently. In our situation, it was different than the four-year-old touching them out after, you know, kissing chickens or what have you, because they're so cute and cuddly and at that age and whatnot. 
Um, is there anything we haven't touched on or that I failed to, as a host, uh, try to bring out information from you guys that you definitely want to try to get across to our listeners and chicken keepers and future chicken keepers that I haven't maybe uh, touched on or, or brought to light? Dave? <laughs> um, you know, just in hindsight, if I've pondered it a while, you know, since this all happened, yeah. I just think um, that it's really important to know where your where your chicks are coming from. Yeah. Um, and not to assume, you know, that that other people or companies are going to have your best interest in mind. Um, you know, I think when and if and when we do do chickens again, we will know, you know, we'll know exactly where they're coming from. Um, yeah. You know, we, we won't leave any questions unanswered. Um, you, know, you know, Andy, one of the main reasons that, that we got into to backyard chickens initially, and I'm sure the majority of backyard chickeners, is, is knowing the source. And what mm-hmm. we kind of find, found flabbergasting during this whole ordeal was when we called the health department going through this, we were informing them of the outbreak. Um, we were informing people that should have been informing the consumers of, of the uh-huh. outbreak. It seems like the infrastructure is there as far as NARMS being involved in all these outbreaks and the CDC. Um, however, the, the dissemination of the necessary and pertinent information to the appropriate people just doesn't happen. And, you know, like we, we mentioned the other day on the phone, you're trying to get news in 140 characters or less. You're this right. is a serious issue, and it needs more than 140 characters, and, you know, the, the issues just get detracted from and, and don't get touched on, and that's why it keeps recurring every year. Right. I mean, yeah, I it's, just... It's a, it, yeah, every year I think when I've posted it, um, I've had comments that have said, this is uh, this is the first I've heard of this. Thank you, Chicken Whisper. or it's not anywhere in my local news. I haven't heard of it. And I don't know what the requirements are based on what size of an outbreak um, that has to make it a national, uh, pub, you know, national news. I don't know, um, you know, if if it's based on the number of sick or if it's because this is a, a, a uh, the backyard poultry movement only, not mass America and, and like. Uh, we'll just throw out there peanut butter that however many millions people eat versus uh, how many people keep backyard poultry. And if that's an issue, why it's not more uh, readily available to, to the public, I'm not sure. But let me go ahead because we're limited time. I know she's got a meeting at 1 o'clock, so I'm going to get over here and bring on my good friend over at the CDC, Dr. Megan Nichols. And uh, let me click this button here. And we'll bring her on as well. She can answer some of those questions that we just don't know. It's right up her alley, I think. Uh, Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Andy. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us again. You were here uh, maybe a month ago talking about uh, the the current outbreak, and we appreciate that. And I thought it would be great again to have you come on and uh, maybe answer some of these questions and, of course, update the current outbreak and uh, give us any any new information there, of course, uh, how – uh, the CDC shares information about how we can try to reduce our risks uh, of, of getting this. So since it was just mentioned, maybe you can address their their concern about we never knew that there was an outbreak to, 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 to you know, going through this. You heard their story. And, and then their latest concern uh, of why they're coming on the show, one of them is to say, you know, we were informing the health department. We were uh, – whether it made a – a 10-day difference in getting a diagnosis or not, hot sex, 2020. But maybe you can shed some light on kind of how that works for them and, and our listeners. 
Well, first of all, let me say thank you to the family for coming on. I know that um, oftentimes sharing these stories can be very difficult, and I can't imagine um, that having that experience, but I think that it's truly amazing that they are willing to come on, share their story, and then also provide the information to educate other backyard poultry owners. I think that's very brave, and I, I was listening in. I really appreciated hearing their perspective. Thank you, doctor. So, yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things I think that we struggle with at CDC is always how do we get the information that we have down to the consumers, down to the physicians who are treating cases in the emergency rooms, down to the pediatricians, down to um, all of those folks who really, really can use it. And we found some ways are, are potentially more effective than others. And um, Andy, as you know, that's oftentimes one, way, one reason that I'm on this show is to try and do right. outreach and, and get that information out. But I agree, along with a lot of other folks who are, who are talking about a lot of really important pressing public health issues, that's something that we're constantly um, improving upon and, and looking for new ways to get that information out there because, as the family noted, it really is important. Yep, absolutely. So still striving to do that. I know that's that's why you come on the show. That's why we post about it. And again, we've seen so many times where I didn't hear about this until I, I got onto your to your Facebook page, and then other people share it. Thank goodness for that. And it's really getting right to the backyard chicken folks uh, directly as well. And um, as y'all strive to get it into the other hands, I know it can be a big 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 struggle that I'm sure can can be improved, obviously, from Gabriel's experience. Let's talk a little bit about the current outbreak. Have there been any updates? Are there? Uh, I know we haven't had an official update. I don't think on the on the website yet with any increased numbers and things like that. But anything and some information you may not be able to share yet until the publication of the next official update that'll be on the website. Is there anything you can share new with this current outbreak? Uh, number one, that, that wasn't uh, shared with uh, about a month or so ago when it was first publicized. And then we'll get into the, the difficult question that we talked about early off air. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm on the show today, Andy. It's very timely because we are going to go ahead and update our web posting tomorrow. Um, and at this okay. time, we have seen an increase in cases. So last time, our web um, update posted that there were 181 cases from about 40 states. And the number has increased to 226 cases. And wow. this involves five different strains now. We found one additional strain of salmonella in this outbreak since the last time we did the web posting. But that's something that we're going to work on getting out tomorrow because we recognize how important it is for folks to have this information and to disseminate it widely. Okay, now is, is the strain, for example, that affected the Gabriel family, I think it was in Infantis, is that included in this, this year's outbreak, the current outbreak? Not at this time. You know, we're always okay. cognizant of strains that have caused these types of outbreaks in the past and closely monitor whenever we see those. But at this point, we have not seen Salmonella Infantis associated with live poultry. Um, it's something that we're going to keep our eye on, of course, just in case. Okay, excellent. So we'll, I'm sure I'll get a copy of the email that as soon as it's released tomorrow. I'll share it on our Facebook page and people can see the update um, with that. It, it, it sounds like not a, a massive increase, 181, I think you said 226 or something. So um, thank goodness it didn't jump higher than that, obviously. And so uh, 
um, that that is good news. Now um, we'll, we'll talk about this as well. Um, we talked about it earlier on the phone, and um, just so people know, I, yes, I work very closely with USDA and the CDC, and uh, getting their message out and even doing webinars at CDC headquarters at lots of different places. We have talked about this. In fact, it was ironically just mentioned towards the end of the interview with, with the Gabriels about kind of wanting to know, having the information of where our chicks come from, that that type of thing. And so people know I've got to be fair, regardless of who my sponsors are and who I'm associated with, of uh, the, the question of knowing where these chicks came from and what hatcheries are associated with this outbreak. And we had talked off the air, you know, confirming the show today, and I had asked that question, uh, a lady, and I got to send you that email, by the way, was like, I'm going to buy chicks this year, but because of last year and the year before, I'd like to uh, see where what hatcheries may be involved this year with this outbreak, and so I may uh, maybe avoid them. And you, I had, so I'd asked you ahead, have there been any information on identifying the hatcheries that are involved with this outbreak? And I'll let you tell our listeners too, but y'all, it's, the decision's kind of been made to this year not uh, divulge that information and maybe go down the road of, you know, all baby chicks, regardless of where they come from, have the potential to carry salmonella. So let's concentrate on doing what we can do to prevent this. As a former paramedic for a decade, I get that. We treat all patients as if they had whatever disease by wearing gloves and masks and protecting at PPEs, things like that. So so I, from my background, I completely understand that. But for the Gabriels and, and a lot of people probably listening <laughs> that are thinking, now, wait a minute, I'd like to know where maybe not to buy from. Because we've heard from the CDC in the past, once there's an outbreak, things kind of change, the rules change a little bit. And, you know, like when we were on the phone, I used the kind of the peanut butter outbreak. You know, we, we know not to buy this brand if there's a salmonella outbreak with that peanut butter. But now it seems to be a little different rules for backyard poultry. So if you will share with us, and again, being fair so people can hear, yeah, Andy does a lot of work with CDC, but yet you still ask the tough questions. Um, your take on uh, on that particular issue of why we may not see where these the out, we may not ever know the named hatcheries that from this current outbreak. If you can kind of shed some light on that for our listeners too, and the Gabriels, that'd be great. Thank you. Absolutely. So I think you did emphasize the point that all all poultry, live poultry, have the potential to share to shed salmonella, and so we want folks who own these poultry to take precautions. One thing that I would really encourage your listeners and um, those who own backyard flocks to do is when they're looking into a place to purchase um, their chicks or their ducklings or their live poultry, um, I would always try and ask the store if they source from a mail order hatchery or a hatchery that participates in the U.S. Department of Agriculture National Poultry Improvement Plan. U.S. Voluntary Salmonella Monitoring Program. And I know that's a long phrase, um, but we do have information and a link to it straight from our CDC website. And this is a group of hatcheries who've made a a commitment to volunteer to um, certify that their flocks are monitored for the salmonella bacteria that can cause human illness. And so I think that that's really, really something that's important. In addition, I think that, you know, talking to those at your feed stores and, and finding out if they're sourcing from those places is a, is a really, really great idea. Absolutely. I agree with that. Now, that what you just named, that's relatively new versus years past where it's, oh, we're NPIP and we have the little uh, NPIP logo on our website. 
this what you you're suggesting now? now I remember uh, working in the last couple of years about this this new um, I don't want to call it a certification, but new volunteer program uh, that some hatcheries can choose or not to choose to be a part of, where they are, I guess, every year kind of testing for uh, additional salmonella uh, that can affect humans, because we know MPIP normally is kind of chicken-related diseases, not ones that humans may get from the chickens. And so this, just to clarify, this is kind of a brand-new program um, that's come out very recently, uh, and it just adds additional tests for their poultry they're shipping out. Absolutely. I think it shows that these hatcheries have made a commitment to monitor for some of these strains of salmonella that cause human illness and, and shows that they're really concerned about this human health problem as well. Um, one of the things that is a part of this program, and it's something that backyard poultry owners can access online, is the Best Management Practices Handbook, um, and it's right. a guide for mitigation or control of salmonella uh, contamination at these hatcheries. And so I think that it's a it's a quick read. It's not a huge book, and I think it's something that pol backyard poultry owners can can look at and kind of know what the best practices would be at these hatcheries for monitoring and controlling um, salmonella in in these areas. So I think that that's that's something that's important. And you're right. It is it, this is a newer program, and I think in part. Um, one of the reasons USDA and CDC really partnered on, on promoting this is because of stories like the Gabriel families. We recognize that this is something that we really need to work on, not only with consumers, but also with, with producers. Yeah, okay, and we're running out of time. You have a meeting to run to. So instead of going through all the details, because we've covered it a lot, um, if you can just kind of give them, our listeners, a, a link or kind of direct them to uh, the CDC website, where on the CDC website, maybe some taglines they can search for to find this kind of list of information uh, that they can implement to try to reduce the risk of their family getting to the salmonella. Absolutely. So that'll be www.cdc.gov salmonella. And they can obtain additional information there. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. And thank you again to the Gabriel family for being willing to share their story. Great. Thank you very, very, very much. Get to, to your next meeting. It's always a pleasure to have you on, uh, Doc. And, and I'll look forward to that update tomorrow that I can share on my Facebook page. Will do, Andy. Thank you so much for getting the information out. Great. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, that was Dr. Megan Nichols with the uh, CDC. I didn't have her uh, give us her title, but it's very impressive, and she is a team lead of, of her department that handles this uh, this outbreak and others when it deals with the backyard uh, poultry. I still have the, the Gabriels on. I want to extend a big thank you to you guys as well, just like uh, Dr. Nichols did for coming on, uh, because it wasn't a, it definitely was anything but a, a blame game or a under the microscope type of thing. It was wanting to to add uh, uh, some uh, humanness to to it. Just instead of just seeing a poster, here are the numbers. This is what you need to do. It's uh, for people to hear uh, a real life experience from folks that seem to be doing probably everything as best they could, in a, uh, kind of a straight line, uh, and and it's still affecting them and not being the. Uh, I kiss chickens and I cuddle chickens and I slept with chickens and I had them in my house type of deal. Um, but this is versus uh, uh, the, uh, the, the issue of getting it through, through a cut and whatnot. But I'm going to ask you um, what you think 
um, about the decision, at least currently. It could always change, um, Dan and, and Mr. Miss Gabriel, of maybe the decision of not disclosing the hatcheries where these birds are coming from. I mean, we know about taking place, and, and I mean, you know, nobody wants to bash a hatchery, um, you know. But but what what just being going down that road you went down, and you said right before we brought the doctor on the importance of knowing where your chicks come from. What, what how do y'all take that of not knowing or, or the hatcheries involved in this outbreak won't be identified? What's what's your take on that? Um, my yeah, that concerns me. I mean, I would like, I guess, to know more about the reasoning behind that. And and the reason being is that I know, you know, the hatchery where the chickens that infected Luke came from had a track record, you know. Um, it wasn't the mm-hmm. first year that Infantis had come out of that hatchery, um, you know, and it, it continued for, for years. Um, I just think myself as a consumer, had I known that um, and had that information been readily available, I wouldn't have purchased chickens, you know, that I knew came from there. Um, I, I just kind of feel like knowledge is power, <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, personally, I I wouldn't purchase chickens at this point unless I knew where they came from, um, and, and that just sort of solidifies that for me. Um, now, source of everything is, is key, you know, and, and is it to me, not doing so just limits the accountability and responsibility of the hatchery and I, I or the hatcheries. I do think they play a part. You have a handful of hatcheries um, supplying, you know, 20 plus million pullets to these feed mm-hmm. stores. And it, to me, it's it's kind of inevitable. And this is my supposition. When you have a, a handful of hatcheries trying to keep up with the increased demand, with the popularity of backyard chickens, that this is not inevitable but prone to happen and as the i guess the chances of it happening increase i also think it's comes with the responsibility to notify who they're supplying with their product it also comes with the responsibility to you know notify the the end end consumer i still have megan may have already left us um, but i still have her on according to the um the um, I don't know if you're if you're still there, Megan. I've just got one more question. If you're there, she may have already gone to a meeting, but I still see her online here in the switchboard. Uh, my question I can ask her off the air if she's already left. Um, but I guess my question that I thought of during during this episode, and I'll email it to her, is um, do do they not think that by disclosing the hatcheries that are involved in the outbreak? Do they not think that would actually help limit or reduce the number of ill? If all of this, you know, is about health and keeping people healthy and not getting this um, uh, salmonella, that's kind of our goal and CDC and USDA and, and all these folks that I'm, I'm associated with and work with uh, to try to get their message out. If it, Does it not seem... And like I said, that's why I asked this question because there's a lot of information I don't know behind the scenes um, but coming from where I sit, I'm thinking if we do disclose the hatcheries that are involved and then people don't buy from them, at least this year, or choose not to, then um, would that not, in the overall scheme of things, possibly reduce the number of illnesses, which is our, our total goal. So I don't, I, I'm going to ask that and, and, uh, to her offline on, on the Internet uh, email and see, cause, and, and there may be an absolute obvious answer that I'm not seeing. It seems to me if we did disclose 
the hatcheries and people had that information, like you said, maybe to choose not to purchase from them, that would that decrease the amount of sick, which is our ultimate goal. So we'll we'll talk Alison her email uh, on that a little bit a little bit later and get her. Yeah, support, I wondered if so. the reason that they did that was because you know all chickens should be treated as if they have salmonella, regardless of the hatchery that they come from. Um, we we you know, all we, should... we all agree for that. You know, as a, as a past sure. paramedic in the healthcare field, I'm like you know uh, I remember vividly you know you wear their gloves, you wear those masks. If you know you treat every patient as if they had this. You treat every patient right. as if they had that because you can't tell by looking at them if they have this or that. Uh, we uh, absolutely, we all as humans understand that. That's not uh, the message getting expressed, it. though. The, the yeah, message is message. don't bring them into your home, don't put them on your kitchen table, and don't kiss them. Okay, exactly. And, 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 and the, the big thing with the, the MPIP is voluntary, and, and when they do find these rare strains coming out of the hatcheries, what uh-huh. is mandated to those hatcheries to fix it? What's the improvement plan that isn't voluntary? And if it is all voluntary, at minimum, the information should be disseminated to the suppliers of that and and the consumers yeah, of it. It was mentioned on a conversation offline earlier that, you know, it's like we can't really recall live chickens like we would recall peanut butter. That's um, a huge I'm gray sure area. I, I don't Yeah, I, yeah exactly. I, I don't, you know, and, and people on the outside, you know, my fans are saying, well, why not? You know, why can't you just say a dog box? food? Dog food is my example. <laughs> they recall dog food when it has salmonella. You know, in dog food, you're finished the bag, the salmonella is gone. With the chickens, you know, that salmonella source is going to be in your yard potentially for years. And that's what's so frustrating because, again, the infrastructure is there with all the CDC and the FDA and USDA involvement and the retailers and the health departments. The information and the channel, the route that it can go, is there. Why is it not happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Big, big challenge there. And like I said, you know, people saw last year when uh, uh, when we were talking about the outbreak and names were named and, and people knew I had uh, I had sponsors that were named uh, that, you know, hey, they, I, I gained a lot of respect last year because of that, because sponsor or not, you know, it's, it's about education, it's about information, fact-based, science-based, study-based information here. And, same thing with this year, but I'm, I'm here just like you as a chicken owner um, asking the tough questions like, well, why not uh, identify the hatchery here? Kind of a, uh, and while we understand the uh, universal precautions is what we call it in, in, in the medical field, you know, yes, we'll use universal precautions, but at the same time, by not identifying them and maybe reducing the number of people that order from them, if they make that choice, um, I would not say don't buy from those folks, but if they made the choice not to, would that not reduce the number of the That's a great question I asked uh, later on today. So, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gabriel, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what a fabulous uh, show. Uh, I'm sorry you had to go through this, but I think that your story is unique on many, many levels, uh, from the way your son got affected to the, the diagnosis to not knowing there was an outbreak by the, you know, for many days uh, into this and, and everything that came to light during this interview. I do wish you guys all the best, and if there comes a time where we need you back on as, as and to share your expertise, which you've gained, in a, uh, unfortunately, in a negative way, we will definitely have you back on, and we appreciate you do coming on. Our pleasure anytime, Andy. Yes, thanks for having us. Great. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. Uh, all righty, what, what a very interesting show. I've got to run to commercial break, but I'll be back. Uh, in just a uh, in just a couple of minutes. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by day. 
Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. 
Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Party, thank you very much for staying with us today on uh, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. And uh, I want to again thank the, the Gabriel family for coming on today and sharing their uh, story that happened uh, during the uh, the outbreak, uh, Seminole outbreak in 2013. And thank uh, to uh, Dr. Megan Nichols uh, with the CDC. I will post that uh, updated uh, poster um, and, and a link to that tomorrow when it's updated so we can give you the additional information in this strain itself. Uh, we don't know now if it's uh, five strains, uh, apparently several different hatcheries. So, so we'll just see what happens. Uh, with that, and um, I've got some emailing to do this afternoon to my friends over at the CDC to, to ask some questions about about the, the hatchery and not the decision not to name those um, in the best interest of reducing the risks of uh, of people getting this, which I think what it what it's all about. And like I think uh, Dan said earlier, you know, this is not to fear monger, this is not scaring people. You can have your opinion, and, and I think it really sums it up like this. Um, you know, you may have kept chickens for 80 years and you've never had salmonella in your entire life. Of course, now I'll break there and say, Dr. Bridget McCray, PhD, who comes on the show often, she would say, really? You've never had salmonella in 80 years from your chickens? Prove it. <laughs> because some people may have mild symptoms. So I talked to her on the phone the other day and she's like, really? Prove that. Can you prove that statement? <laughs> Got to love the PhDs. It's like no gray area. It's either proven or not. Uh, I love Dr. McCray. Uh, but so so my point is here, you may have had chickens for 80 years and never, quote unquote, had salmonella. And so you think this may be, let's just say, hogwash. But then uh, very like like uh, Dan said, on, on the, this is a very serious topic. And, and especially for them, they've been down this road. So I think it, it's facing in are uh, about this. But regardless of your opinion, it changed the facts about salmonella. Doesn't change the risks about salmonella. Doesn't change the risks are there, no matter how you want to try to downplay it or justify it. Um, and that's our job here, is to try to get the science-based, fact-based, study-based information out there. Uh, as you can hear, asking the tough questions of the CDC, just like last year when we had two sponsors that were involved, it didn't stop us from, from covering it, covering it in detail. Um, and so uh, we, that's just what we try to do. So I thank them for coming on today. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, I was mistaken earlier uh, broadcasting on Monday that Dr. McCray would be joining us tomorrow, but it is the fifth week of the month. It is the fifth Thursday. She comes on on the, I think, first and third. And so uh, she will not be on this Thursday. So this is going to wrap it up for us for, for this week. You can continue to get all kinds of great information uh, on our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer and uh, next monday i know we'll have peter brown the chicken doctor on next thursday we will have dr mccray on uh with a full for today and uh probably in about three weeks we'll have the fall issue maybe four three weeks probably we'll have the fall issue of chicken whisper magazine going out working on that as we speak so again thank you very much for tuning in today we hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll see you back here monday on backyard poultry with the chicom Oh, God bless him. Mm.